0: We're turning over the judgment of the human, saying, here's the five most important stories to an algorithm that can say, hey, we've studied everything you've read for the past year, and here's the five stories that we think you want to read. And uh, if it works well, then we're happy reading those five stories. But we have to always wonder, you know, what is it we're missing? And what is it that we're not seeing?
1: What does it mean when newsrooms turn to algorithms to make editorial decisions? Welcome to the new world of automated journalism. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media. On Skype with me today is Matt Carlson, an associate professor at St. Louis University. Welcome to the podcast, Matt.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, the reason we're talking is that New Media and Society just published an article you wrote entitled... Automating judgment, algorithmic judgment, news knowledge, and journalistic professionalism, which is, sounds pretty heady, uh, very <laughs> academic approach to journalism. What was the thesis of your article?
0: Yeah, we don't exactly get judged by the, uh, the sing song nature of our titles all the time. But so uh, I'll explain a little bit. The real thesis is it's really a question about what happens when we, we turn over the interpretive part of journalism, the part where we're making judgments and thinking to algorithms and let algorithms make judgments. And so what I'm trying to do in this piece is to think largely about that question and come up come up with some some issues that we should be thinking about.
1: What inspired you to write this article?
0: So I was inspired to write this article because I started thinking about well, what do algorithms do when we when we use them in journalism? What happens when we start thinking about these software programs? that are able to make decisions about where stories go or even, uh, even to write stories. And so to do that, I think we have to step back and think about what the issues are that we're facing. And so one of the things that we have to tackle with algorithms is that you know, this is something new. We haven't had technologies like this before in journalism. And when you have a new technology in journalism, you have to stop and say, OK, well, what can this do? What kind of possibilities are there? And these possibilities allow us to think in, in new ways, in ways that we haven't been able to think before
1: then in in newsrooms, what you know how are algorithms being used you know What ways are they being used that people might be familiar with
0: so certainly there's some amazing work with algorithms behind the scenes I'm thinking about ProPublica and its investigative reporting, a lot of which depends on sort of this big data crunching, their work on on Medicare payments. And this kind of work wasn't possible before. You just couldn't do it with the paper and pen days. Um, And we've had computer assisted reporting for a long time, but sort of the the new amounts, large amounts of data and the computing power make this possible. So certainly we see algorithms being used for news gathering. But what I'm interested is what happens when we use them for processes of finding news, right? And I'm thinking things here like the recommendation engines that a lot of websites use. You finish a story, and they want to push you on to another story. And when they do that, that's actually a really interesting thing we don't think much about, right? We get to the bottom of the story. We see, okay, here's seven other stories you can read. But that's a really fundamental shift from how newspapers or websites and news uh, usually works. Um, If you think about these recommendation agents, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, here's some things we think you might be interested based on your profile, what you've read. Which is very different than here's the news. Here's the most important story. Here's the second most important story, and on and on and so on and so on.
1: I know another way that algorithms are being used that a lot of people are familiar with is like Google News, where they aggregate or or other types of aggregators, where they'll uh, like you know look out there in the news environment and pull together different types of stories in what a you know, it might be considered an objective way. This is whatever their particular algorithm is. This is how we're we're channeling this stuff in together.
0: Exactly. I mean, if you look at Google News, Google News actually started around 2002. And it was a side project by an engineer at Google who wanted to find a way to get news pulled to him. He didn't want to have to go to every site. He wanted the news to come to him. And that was really the first really functional news aggregator that can pull all these things together. And it was popular and it was easy to use. And that's 15 years old now. But you know that's a really big shift with Google News, where now you can go on and you can search whatever you're interested in, uh, but you can also ignore everything else. So what's important to you is what the news is, as opposed to some larger communal sense of here's what journalism is. And we have to recognize that there's a trade-off there. We get things that we, we can find news stories we're interested in really easily, but at the same time we might be missing out on other stories that we're just not seeing because we're not open to the, the Sort of larger
1: news. Let's step back a little bit because we're, actually mm-hmm. what we're kind of talking about is using algorithms to make news judgments. And one mm-hmm. of the one of the things that sort of you know if we look at back over the history of journalism that that editors and journalists have been doing to sort of defend you know their role in society is, is they apply news judgment. In, in you know you know which stories they're going to cover how they 're going to sort of allocate their resources, and then once they have this content how they 're going to present it to people mm-hmm. and you know the the digital technology has kind of blown that model up because there were a lot of strictures on the old model the the fact that you know a newspaper can only be a certain length because that 's all they 're able to afford to. You know, publish in in a limited amount of time, but when you have you know the twenty four hour news cycle, when you have unlimited scope and access to an unlimited supply of of news, then you know these algorithms then become very useful to sort of funnel a lot of that information together, and so then the trade off then becomes: well, what where does news judgment fit into this model? Are, you know, are we all we're going to be all just we're going to create this funnel, and and people are just going to get the news, or, you know, the the nature of news judgment has has changed at the same time as well, and that's something you, you address in your uh, your paper.
0: Absolutely. When I started this paper, I didn't know where it'd end up, which is a lot of, happens a lot of times with academic work, and and really judgment is the thing that came out of this when I when I, and that's sort of the key to put it together, and and I argue that journalistic judgment. Human judgment itself is is really constrained for journalists, right? I mean, we we teach um, journalists, we still are teaching and our new journalists, you know, to be objective, to to try to stand outside of what you're reporting, to to really stand, have the facts speak for themselves, and to really stay out of news stories, right? Um, We we try to keep journalists, you know, stay out of the story you're doing. Now, there's lots of exceptions to this, of course, but sort of in, in sort of the general mainstream idea of what news is, judgment is supposed to sort of disappear, right? It becomes kind of an assumed thing rather than stating, you know, here's our judgment that this is true. And that worked, that you're right, that 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 worked that way in the in the in the world where news was really constrained and you can only afford to do so much news and people can only have access to so much news. And now we live in an age of abundance and there's far more news stories than we can ever even, you know, imagine reading. And so we have to have new systems to sort through this and find us things and that usually leads to automated systems where we're turning over the judgment of the human saying, here's the five most important stories to an algorithm that can say, hey, we've studied everything you've read for the past year and here's the five stories that we think you want to read. And uh, if that works well, then we're happy reading those five stories. But we have to always wonder, you know, what is it we're missing? and What is it that we're not seeing?
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny you say that you, you start these sort of academic examinations and you, they, they go where they do and you, you, you're surprised where they kind of end up. And actually, mm-hmm. in reading your your piece, I was actually surprised on a lot of the things that this sort of touches on. The fact that journalists like to think of themselves as as a profession, that we're professionals, we're, we're like lawyers, we're like doctors, we have specialized knowledge and skills that we bring to the to the table, but we're actually very different than that. Um, and one of the things that, that we espouse is makes us different is our objectivity. But the fact is. Uh, that we're actually very subjective in what we choose to cover, what we're able to cover, and this is kind of where news judgment comes in. And then Mm -hmm. our identity sort of changes. Objectivity is sort of a part of what we are, but actually the interpretive nature of what we do, subjectivity is actually defines a lot of what journalism is. Is that we're out there, co- you know, covering City Hall, you know, for year after year after year. So I, you know, I have some specialized knowledge about how mm-hmm. that works and and how that functions and what are the important things that need to be covered. And so, rather than you know, if I were, if there was an algorithm covering City Hall, you know, there might be a, a totally different types of stories that were being being cranked out because. It didn't have the subjective knowledge that I had from that experience.
0: If you think about, you know, the a newspaper, right, the, the front page meeting of a newspaper, this is the heart of the paper. And, and that is totally a subjective meeting where we decide what's the most important thing to know. And you think about say, the New York Times deciding what the most important stories are. You know, there are lots of other places to get news from, but that still carries some weight in terms of stating here's what we should be paying attention to. And, you know, the City Hall example is a great one. I I don't know anything about City Hall. I don't have time to go down there myself and figure things out. I need an expert journalist to say here's what you need to know and here's what's important and here's what's not important. You know, there's other places I think Supreme Court reporting is the ultimate. I don't have a legal background, but I understand the importance of Supreme Court decisions, and I need that person who's a journalist, who's also an expert in the law, to say, here's the interpretation of what's happening, not just here's some facts that happened. So I I think what we're recognizing now is like, yes, of course journalists uh, have judgment. They have to make judgments, and those judgments are for our own good. They're for the social good, and they shouldn't hide behind this idea of, well, it's the facts speaking for themselves. So I think there needs to be more assertion of actually knowing things. And of course, in this day and age, when everyone says journalists are all biased and they're all, you know, they're all secretly, uh, usually secretly liberals or whatever, that's a kind of a fraud activity. But I think there's something different between saying, no, I, I've been at City Hall for two years. I know everything that's going on, which is very different than a political agenda. So it, there needs to be a defensive of expertise of judgment of professionalism more so than there is and in a way this didn't matter but now that we have algorithms competing and saying well algorithms are the most objective way of knowing things i think this puts our old practices in a new light
1: yeah and what i would a- add to that is that that's why transparency is so important so that, mm-hmm. uh, that people understand you know the your expertise the point of view that you're you're coming from just one of those things that that makes it easier for people to understand that you're not biased, you're subjective, you're actually mm-hmm. applying your expertise to a certain situation. So, what are the strengths and the weaknesses of algorithmic judgment?
0: So, algorithmic judgment: the strength is its its speed and scale, right? And the fact that these systems can make judgments at an amazing rate. And the fact is, we live in an age where we depend on algorithms. You know, when if you're interested in my article. You're probably going to go on Google and try to search it. Uh, You're going to – we're going to use algorithms to find everything. And it's almost unbelievable. You can imagine what the internet would be without, say, a a search engine, right? I mean that's just the way we organize information. Any journalist out there working, the first thing they're going to do on any topic is go Google it. And so we, we need these systems. We need to have systems for finding things. So that's certainly the strength. The weakness is we look at algorithms as being objective. We see them as computer programs. They're heartless they're soulless they're just a bunch of decisions made by a computer and i think that's really the danger as we start seeing you know humans are flawed because we're humans and algorithms are never flawed because they're because they're a machine how could they be they can't make judgments but what we have to remember is that all algorithms are programmed by humans they have built-in assumptions in them about what's most important and we can never divorce these systems from the people that create them, the context in which they 're used
1: yeah, and in your article, uh, you give an ex- an example of, of sort of the weakness of the algorithmic judgment. it was a a uh, Facebook story. Could you sort of talk about that?
0: So I have an example here of of what I see is the dangers of algorithmic judgment, and it involves. It starts back in May 2016, when the tech website Gizmodo ran a couple stories about the trending topics feature of uh, Facebook. And training topics would say, well, here's what people are talking about, the most talked about sort of news topics and sort of a, a loose way of talking about it. And what happened is Gizmodo showed that there were actually human beings who were working behind the scenes and they were helping curate the news and they were writing headlines and making decisions. And then also came out was and in the second Gizmodo article was that um, there was a one of these curators accused his colleagues of being biased liberally and suppressing conservative news. So this led to a huge black eye, if you remember, this is all last summer, with uh, Facebook denying that they had any bias, et cetera. But what Facebook did is they said, well, if humans are a problem, let's get rid of the human curators. So they basically got rid of all these people that worked there, and these were, this is, these were terrible jobs. They were really temporary, overworked people that weren't part, really part of Facebook, they were kept secret. So Facebook got rid of them, and they said, okay, we'll have some engineers watch over it, but we'll fully automate the system. So they did this in August of 2016, and within two days, the top trending stories with the headline was, Breaking Fox News Exposes Traitor Megyn Kelly Kicks Her Out for Backing Hillary. That story got 200,000 likes on Facebook before it was pulled down. So it only took two days before the fake news creators were able to beat the system and get a fake news story at the top of trending topics. And at the same time, Facebook also got in trouble because they were censoring a story that featured Nick Ut's famous photo Napalm Girl from Vietnam with the village that was attacked by napalm and there's a, a girl, she's been naked because her clothes have been burned off by napalm running down the street crying. It's an amazing photo. And Facebook algorithms said, Well, that's pornography, and they took it off. It, it violates their agreements. So, you know, those two things happened at the same time, and this led to some consternation about, you know, how good are these algorithms at really detecting what's news, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate.
1: Yeah. And the other aspect of it is, is that, you know, once you fully automate something, there are people who are going to try to game it in some way, you know, either the story, the example that you gave where, where lots mm-hmm. of people got a, you know, the story got a, a ton of likes. And so it moved up in the algorithm because that was the measurement that they were using to this is like a, an important sort of story. And it turned out, you know, that it turned out to be fake or Something that that may have a you know, I don't know an advertising aspect to it that they're trying mm-hmm. to get more people to click on it, and so sort of figuring out what the system is and kind of gaming it so that whatever the particular content is it is going to fly to the top
0: yeah I mean if you think about it, I mean for you know media content has always been attracting audiences in order to sell to advertisers i mean that 's been the basis of the media environment for most places for a long time. What this fake news problem did is it accelerated it created stories that were absolutely sensational, that could get popular within a matter of hours, can collect the advertising revenue, usually through Google and Google's ad network. You know, Google made a fortune off fake news, if you think about it, right? They make money off all those advertisements. And that's, the system got gamed, exactly right. People figured out how to get stories popular quickly. And the people who are behind the algorithms can't keep up it's like whack-a-mole trying to stop these fake news problems. And they weren't able to keep up.
1: We're talking right this this moment about algorithms that that are sort of based on the number of clicks, the number of eyeballs that are that are on something. But you know, newsrooms are are taking you know data analytics you know, to sort of make, to inform their decisions about, you know, a story placement on a page, you know, what topics they're going to cover. So, I mean, do you see that as a way to siphon the best stuff from algorithmic learning through sort of the uh, media judgment Is sort of a filter it through?
0: The whole idea of looking at audience metrics is Another big can of worms, right I mean in some cases newsrooms you know they want to do the best they can. they want to know what people are reading. they want to be able to produce content that's going to get clicked on and make money. This is an imperative. You know, digital dollars are really hard to find. but at the same time, if we're relying on metrics to chase after audiences then you know are we giving people the most important stories that city hall story about what's going on you know it's not going to be what everybody wants to read all the time. But it's a really important story that we need to get out there. And sometimes we have to put it on the front page and hope people notice, even if they're just trying to flip back and get to the sports or click down the sports link. So I, I think there's a big danger in looking at metrics as driving you know, decisions about what's most important.
1: So what then should newsrooms be doing, uh, <laughs> do you think, moving forward?
0: I think what newsrooms have to do is recognize just how big... The shift is with algorithms that are able to tell us who's reading or to to recommend stories or help people find stories or even to write stories because there's a whole new system of natural language generation software that writes news stories and does a pretty decent job of doing the inverted pyramid style news. So we have to recognize that this is not just an extension of what we've been doing, but something that's different that challenges us to say what's most important about human judgment. What's most important about the decisions that we make, right? A lot of the questions that algorithms ask, you know, the fundamental question that an algorithm asks is what does this person want, right? What does this individual want? But the fundamental question in the newsroom is what deserves attention? And those questions can be at odds at each other. We have to recognize that there's attention there. And this doesn't mean that we can't have some personalization, some trying to reach what people want, but we also have to stand by that question of what deserves intention and knowing that there are systems out there that are working against that question.
1: So you mentioned personalization, mm-hmm. the, the idea of personalization versus, you know, here are your vegetables, you need to eat your vegetables mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, Oh, I, I just want to read whatever I want to read. You know, how do you strike that balance?
0: That's a tough one. I mean, part of it is going to be personal responsibility of the news audience and to, you know, keep, People expecting that they should be looking and seeing what's going on and getting news. And I think there has to be that idea, right? We, we can't force people now to only consume some, some you know, this news and not other news. We have to find ways to, to alert people. You know, here's what the big stories are because not everybody wants to, to read those big stories. People like personalization. We like stories that fit with what we want. And these systems are there to do that. And, you know, to give an example, Facebook. I mean, the whole monetary logic of Facebook is to keep you on the site, to keep you from not going to a different site in order to advertise to you. The more information they collect, the better they can advertise to you. Facebook has no understanding of trying to inform you. It just wants to keep you on the site as long as it can. And that's very different than what a news organization does where it's trying to say, here's what's most important. So there are the systems out there through which we get news are fighting against our, our best inclinations of what news is, and the biggest thing we can do is to say this is happening and start thinking of innovative ways to combat that.
1: Yeah, and that's where you know what your mission is is, is can be your differentiator. That you know our mission is to cover city hall. This is we want people to, you know, come to our website to get all of that information. That they know that they can trust us. And so, you know, some of your stories are going to be really kind of dry. They may not be obvious to the person at that time why it's important. And maybe you you put those stories next to other stories that that are getting more traffic to try to get them noticed, sort of what you said. But, you know, it's weird because, well, it's weird for a couple of reasons, one of which is that it's like – Every it's like every day we have to kind of like redefine who we are and what mm-hmm. our, our news environment is, because it is so it is constantly changing all the time. And one of the reasons we're in all of these different structures is, you know, our 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 business model has has been disrupted and we're we're trying to figure out a way that we can sort of. Can function in this digital news environment, which right now is a lot of it is based around you know online advertising and about you know getting people you know getting clicks, getting people to to view products and purchase stuff online. And so, trying to get our news mission around that and to function into that is a daily challenge.
0: The problem is that you want to hold to some cores and say there are some things that haven't changed, and we have some commitments to telling the truth to to finding to finding the scandals that need to come to light, to having a basic knowledge for, among citizens so they know what's going on. And, you know, we're pulling our hair out trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we keep doing this mission when things are changing so, so swiftly? So part of it, yeah, is maintaining the core. But again, I want to I come back to, to sort of my my call to arms in this article, which is that You know, we need to part of this is arming judgment and saying, look, we have judgment as journalists. It's not just all the facts speaking for themselves. In some ways, that transparency is a good way to say, here's how we're coming at a story. Here's why we think it's important. But I think that there's a certain amount of expertise. You know, Back to the City Hall example again, we need experts. We need journalists who are experts in City Hall to tell us what's going on because no one else is going to do that. The politicians in City Hall are never going to give us what we need. The spokespeople are not going to give us what we need. Partisan, openly partisan media is not going to be the most useful way. We need people who can say, I'm going to give you an interpretation of what's going on based on my knowledge. And if you pay attention to me, I promise to be as fair as I can. And I'm going to tell you what I know. And in some ways that seems radical. In some ways it's not radical. But I think that's the media environment we're moving into is when the issue of judgment is what we have to hold on to. And the fact that we can have good judgments.
1: You know, the example that you gave earlier on of the New York Times front page, I mean, I can remember being in discussions, um, you know, over the last couple of years about, you know, redesigning front pages and looking at the New York Times and it's like, why are they sticking to this structure? They've got all their money in this idea of, you know, here's the most important news here. Here are the Mm -hmm. things that we're focusing on and not necessarily picking on them. It's just because they're in that structure because that's that's part of who their identity is. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of other news sites redesigning their front page based around a lot of different strategies, you know, some of which are you know giving people you know recommended stories or giving them curated stories that are on special topics. You know, here's a sports section, making it easier. For readers to get certain content, or and then maybe placing stories based on what your audience is telling you through data analytics are the ones that they're most interested in. So there's a lot of more dynamics going on. But then you go look back at the, the New York Times, and they they've got their money in. You know, they're putting all their money behind the idea there. There is value in the way we're presenting things. People come to us for this one thing, and this is this is what we're we're sticking to because we think that this is really kind of our identity and and this is an expectation we're creating for the for the audience and we you know they it's a you know, it's a it's a national news and international news website. It's 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 pretty got a, got a pretty broad scope, but it's you know it, it's putting its money behind this one identity of who they are and what the expectations uh, are for the reader. And I think that also maybe not to the extreme of the New York Times, but we all need to figure out what our identity is. And this
0: is a lot to handle. And you know, I'm thinking about the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is my you know my local paper in St. Louis. And I, I read it online. I have a digital subscription to it. And, you know, the, you know, the New York Times is going to be fine. They're going to have a thousand journalists and they're going to have their issues. But, I, I, you know, I really worry about um, these regional papers that um, are the backbones of the communities and for so long are so important for finding out information and what's going on. And they've just hemorrhaged readers. They've hemorrhaged uh, advertising dollars. Uh, And, uh, you know, I feel like asking them to ask all these questions is just so difficult when they're just trying to stay afloat. Um, So I think that real challenge is going to be in local news and smaller markets and how how do you face this giant media environment that in some ways is working against your core mission. But again, the same thing. I, I think, again, living in a place like St. Louis, we need people who are experts in St. Louis and who understand what's going on down at City Hall and what the ramifications are for the rest of the people that live there.
1: You also have to figure into that the, the whole idea of scale. I mean, you know, you, you know, only people in a certain area are going to be particularly that interested in in that um, that city hall coverage. Is that going to be enough to in, into your your model, or what other things do you need to do to make it so that you can stay afloat and that you can do your mission effectively? I mean, that's the challenge that newsrooms across the country have been dealing with the last ten or fifteen years
0: and And we all know there's there's no easy solutions. there's going to be nothing that's going to come along and just uh, you know, save the day like classified ads are going to come back and make money from newspapers or anything like that and so I think that's the difficult part is knowing that um, what we're probably going to see is a lot of different models that work in different ways from different places for different people. Uh, and we have to get used to a news environment that is just uh, full of these different kinds of voices. Um, you know, in the past, news was pretty homogenous. Uh, newspapers looked like newspapers um, anywhere you went. Television news kind of looked like television news anywhere you went. And, and now we have such variety, and it's just difficult to know you know, what, what's really important, what's the big, big next new trend, and what's the one-off that – know can exist by itself but can't really be emulated
1: yeah it's amazing how this is still shaking out that it's just this is not like oh we're just going to settle on one model here it just keeps evolving and evolving and evolving mm-hmm. and just trying to get ahead of what's the thing that's going to work it's probably not going to be one thing it's going to be lots of different things matt we we could i'm sure could talk for hours on this this has been a fascinating discussion i think you've done a lot to sort of Get us things to be thinking about, about our identities as journalists, how we're, you know, competing in judgment with these algorithms, but also, you know, what our identity is to our readers and, you know, what importance our judgment has in saying who we are and and how we deliver our mission.
0: And thank you. And, and it's a great opportunity to talk like a normal person uh, instead <laughs> of like an academic like I do in the paper. So I'm sorry if, if, it's, no. if, if you're disappointed. By, no, no, if, no. If, if if your listeners uh, look up the article and say, OK, what's going on? Um, so but it's fun to talk like a like a normal person.
1: No, I would I would I definitely recommend it. It's 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 an academic piece, but there's a there's a lot in there. there's a lot of meat in there. If you if you want to, you know, have those parts of your brain scratched a little bit about. You know, judgment, subjectivity, objectivity versus you know machine uh, judgment. Uh, you, all that stuff is is, is fascinating, and, and it it's so much of the what's underlying journalism at the moment that I think we all, in different ways, kind of deal with it, but we never really kind of acknowledge this, acknowledge it, and then step back. Well, what does this mean to be a journalist today? What defines my role? You know, can I be replaced by a machine? We're already, see, you know, you mentioned that these. Uh, You know, the the AP had um, was was using um, an algorithm to to write some news Mm -hmm. stories uh, during the election cycle. And, you know, I think even said on this podcast at one point is this, well, I I could see that that would not necessarily be a bad thing in Mm -hmm. in some situations, because there's a lot of things that newsrooms cover that are very dry, that are just, you know, here are the five facts. They're very important to report. But, you Mm -hmm. know, we don't need to.
0: I think we need to ask what makes us humans and why is a human journalist a good thing, and not necessarily a computer program? We'll have the computer programs and they're not going to go away. So let's not try to act like them.
1: I think it's a great place to stop. Thanks for coming in, Matt.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Next time on It's All Journalism. One journalist who works for an alt-weekly, the Santa Fe reporter, Aaron Kantu, is facing 70 years for moving along with a group of people that he was covering and being charged with the alleged crimes of the people he's covering. That is tremendously dangerous for journalism. So I think my takeaway is that we're on shakier ground than ever and need to be more vigilant. Join us next time when our old friend Baynard Woods of the Baltimore City Paper stops by to talk about his latest venture, a great little podcast called Democracy in Crisis. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicole Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting, on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time for you to start your podcast? While you're on our website, leave a comment or send us an email at editor at itsalljournalism.com. We're always looking for new guests and topics for the podcast. We also like to get feedback on how we can improve the podcast and make it a better experience for you. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at alljournalism, and you can look for us on Facebook. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.
0: The Finish the Game podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Ball
1: play to Sean, across the 10 to 5, touchdown
0: Seahawks!
1: Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast
0: One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search podcast D.C., the What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman.
1: We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy bureaucratic politics-only reputation it tries to shed.
0: The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, onecom or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast D.C.